that's about all we can get away with playing or else CCR is going to take us to court. But you get the idea. Bad moon rising and stuff. to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColtSploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Um, we're doing pretty well. We um we took a week off because we had been doing a bunch of episodes back to back to back, so we, we decided that we are going to take a little week to to recoup, you know, get our jokes in line. It's hard being a stand-up comedian every week. Listen, Tim Heidecker summed comedians up very well. You should never be threatened with violence, but you should also mind your words. That's right. Like I said, truer words have been spoken, but not at this very moment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, lots happened in the entertainment world since we uh, did our last episode. Not that we really cover any of the entertainment industry. We're not, you know, we don't do like, we did at one point do like a one new segment or something uh, on one of our really early episodes we were like ah, and you know and in entertainment news uh, we, dun, got, dun, dun. You know, we, we got a new movie we got a saw on the horizon stuff like that but um, we haven't really done any new stuff but yeah um, if fan, you haven't re, uh, say, uh, say re, read Fangoria if you want that yeah well I actually prefer now to to get uh, stuff from Rue Morgue oh, our Canadian say, co- brethren I was going to say Kotaku <laughs> I do read Kotaku as well. No, I get it. I get a lot of my hor- well. I should say I used to. I did subscribe to it for a little while. Thanks, Michael. Michael gave me a subscription to to Rue Morgue Magazine. They're out of Can- Canada, so the correct answer is Colesploitation. You son of a bitch. We don't do news, Wait. so I would not uh, expect anybody to be coming to us for as a news source because if they do, they're learning about movies that released in the '60s and the '80s. So. But you're getting 4K UHD arrow releases. That's right. Such. Screenshots and, and, and reviews and, and shit like that. Yeah. Titties in 4K. I, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't expect anybody to uh, to come to us for, for a news resource. Go to Maybe Rumor. we should do that. Bring it back like dun 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 dun, dun and like make it like a the news post. Bo- yeah. Yeah, but make it like anodyne and like just like stuff like no one cares about. Yeah. What could do like that? Like we'll like Will Smith smacking Chris Rock. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, you know, if you haven't heard, that did Louis occur. C.K. I was going to say, Louis C.K. won a Grammy. <laughs> I So, I really don't care. I'll, I'll tell you what. I don't care anything about the Grammys. Didn't pay one whit. Of, actually, and to be honest with you, I didn't pay attention to the Oscars either because I really couldn't care less uh, what, you know, some Academy fuckhead says this is the best movie of the year. Uh, clearly, wait, they're going wait, to be wait. wrong. So wait, wait, so you don't care about the Oscars, but you like on cinema. Yeah. You, you love Tim Heidecker's coverage of the Oscars. Yeah, because he doesn't cover the Oscars. It's great. <laughs> he like, every time he does a, does a uh, Oscars show, it has nothing to do with the Oscars at all. 
no coverage whatsoever. That's that's <laughs> what I like about it. No, no you're, you, you, I say you are right. I mean, like, it is one thing though that I I do kind of miss. I mean, I haven't paid attention to like the Oscars in ages either. But it's one thing I miss though. It's like, uh oh. Oscar. Can you smell that? It's Oscar season. Why? Because people are talking about the King's speech. Yeah, it's, right. It's like unless like you're like or or the artist, and it's like unless like you're like you know really big like into like film, you don't give a shit. I mean, here's the thing. I saw like one Oscar contender. That's it. I, th- I saw Don't Look Up. I watched that on Netflix. Other than that. Uh, and was that nominated for Best Picture? No. Well, actually, was it? I don't know. It was definitely – it was nominated for things. And I'm saying, like, out of the movies that were nominated for things, I think I really only saw one. I was um, going to say, if Don't Look Up was nominated for Best Picture, that would – I mean, I haven't seen it, but I know what it's about. And, I mean, that would totally be like, you know, like the sniffing – the whole sniffing your own farts thing. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, and so, like – I'll be honest too. I don't actually watch that many movies. People watch way more movies than me. I um, screenshot a lot of movies. I know about a lot of movies. I don't really watch a whole lot of movies, and um, so I, I didn't catch anything really of the Oscars bait uh, this year. Um, occasionally, I'll have seen like one or two, and I do. There are a couple that I do want to watch, uh, and when I get time, The Power of the Dog being one of them, um, a feminist western movie that I think uh, looks pretty doggone good um which is also on netflix by the way so if you are interested you can watch that it's got jesse plemons in it um and kirsten dunst a little tidbit to, too jesse we'll plemons to and kirsten dunst are together we'll have to do that yeah it, it's it's one that i definitely want to check out benedict cumberbatch is in that too so you mean dr strange dr strange that's right so i do want to see that one other than that, though, there's not a whole lot that I was super interested in, um, and that generally is the case for most. Um, you know, they they you know, didn't. You know, we're a bunch of liars. Last year we did fucking Parasite. Yeah, that's true. We <laughs> we did that one, but that was kind of like an outlier too. Um, you know, yeah, it might have been two years ago actually. I think it was like February 2020. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, that's a digression, but we we're just saying, you know. No, that's no. Your takes are a transgression. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but we we're just saying how much has changed since we lasted our episode only two weeks ago, and this week we decided to go with something that was. Um, yeah, I was say. Well, I was gonna say real quick. You know what the best part about that whole Will Smith smacking Chris Rock thing is? What's that? Chris Rock no sold him. He got smacked and he didn't sell it at all. He's just like, what the fuck did you just do? No, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, he did a very good job with that, to be honest with you. Did, I, I, thought, I thought it was great. Like, no reaction. It's like, well, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> you know? Like, what are you doing, brother? Yeah. Anyway, moving on from all of that, because I think everybody's ready to be, to be done with that. You know what? You're right. We did we did do it in 2020. Parasite. Told you. Yeah. Looking it up right now. Well, you know, less than spent what? The record keeper. Well, I always have the fucking podcast yeah, list up. Open. 
But this episode, we uh, had like a lull in between when, when we're going to do our Easter episode and when we needed a new episode up for, for the hits, you know? So you know what that means. Random review. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, the movies where that we pull out that have no rhyme or reason to why we're doing them specifically. That's what you're getting this time. Why'd we do She's All That? That happened during a lull and a suggestion. Yeah, right. And exactly. Never going to regret it. So that's what we do when we we need a film and we're ready for one. So um, it actually is not uh, particularly out of like just randomness because Arrow Video is releasing – uh, an American Werewolf in London on 4K UHD. Um, they they released it just at the end of March. Um, and so that's out now. And I did get it for review and screenshots. And uh, I thought it was going to be a perfect movie to cover for the show because we haven't done it yet. And we've already done some John Landis. Um, I'm a big John Landis fan. You I'm are. How about huh? you? What yeah, was your, what, what was your favorite part when he killed some people? Or <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that. We talked joking, about that. Ex- I was saying we, we talked about that extensively when we did the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. Actually, that was a pro- that was probably like the second most uh, consumptuous part of our Twilight Zone. Yeah, the movie review outside of Spielberg's whimsy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I I joke, of course. Damn. You know, you can divorce the events of the Twilight Zone movie from what else John Lannis has done and obviously I'm sure he regrets it incredibly but the show must go on as Hollywood would say and so he did create new movies but yeah John John Land I mean I don't know about you but John Landis is a great director and he is a good director and it's kind of interesting to see where he came from and where he went because if you've seen I've seen his first movie Schlock which is a really, it's a rough movie, honestly. It's, I mean, rough not in the sense of like, um, I spit on your grave, rough, right? Like a rape revenge movie, but a rough movie in that it's definitely smacks of a very, very early direction from him, um, a, with a pretty, um, I don't know, like a, a very all over the place plot and direction. Um, but it is interesting to see where he came from because it's very. You know, very like exploitation elements to it, uh, Grindhouse, and then he goes on and kind of does, you know, he does Animal House, um, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the like late seventies, early, and then into well into the eighties, like teen comedy movies, raunchy comedy. Well, yeah. well let's say you forgot Kentucky Fried Movie, which got me yeah, job, yeah. Know, which, um. um it is interesting to see where he's where he came from and where he went to, and you know, like as he moves further for like into his directions, uh, the, his his films. You know, when you get to American Werewolf in London, um, it's more, almost more of like a big budget, uh, you know, a production that is far more advanced than like some of the other stuff that he did in his past, and that's pretty much all thanks to Animal House, by the way. Um, Animal House was really the, the big excursion into like big budget cinema, you know, cause besides doing that, he really didn't have too much else cult film classics, but not too much else that would, um, really get him into the, the big leagues, 
But yeah, I can see well, why you, you like him. Uh, let's say we forget he was—he's incredibly at the time, incredibly young too. Absolutely. So Animal House, he would have been 28, 27 years mm-hmm. old. So you know, same thing like Blues Brothers, thirty years old. Uh, American War- Werewolf in London, you know, thirty-one years old. So, and which allegedly, you know, according to Wikipedia, he wrote the film during when he's nineteen years old, working on uh, Kelly's Heroes. So that's pretty damn good, you know. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, he did do that as well, right? It took a while to make the movie because uh, you need the budget for the movie. Um, yeah, it is an amazing feet from from him and he did start young and i guess it would help too if you've got uh steven spielberg behind you you know uh don't say that <laughs> calling the, him spielberg of whim the, of comedy the toby hooper wrote <laughs> no that's even worse what no no <laughs> No, no. So you see, you're essentially saying Spielberg. You saying Spielberg came on set? Like, no, you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> no, no, I don't think he did that with American Werewolf in London. No, no. All right, you know what? I'll direct it, and you sit back, Toby, and learn a thing or two, um, and we'll just give you credit. Yep. One day we'll have to do Poltergeist. Oh yeah, we'll have to do it at some point. We've already done. We've already hit the zenith of Toby Hooper's output with the Mangler, <laughs> right? Where can you go from there? <coughs> but yeah, we, so we are doing an American Werewolf in London. Uh, the main, as Ryan said, the main reason is um, the idea basically came because he got the brand new 4K UHD release. So uh, we were pitching some other ideas, but that's you know. Hard thing to pass up on, because mm-hmm. I think as we kind of, like a lot of films that we kind of cover on here that were kind of part of the cultural zeitgeist at one point, um, now that we're, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but 40 years out, it's kind of starting to, you know, slowly kind of fade into the background and not, you know, be something, like you kind of know the reference, but you don't know where it came from. That's kind of, you know, where we're kind of reaching with this film. You know. Yeah, I mean... It definitely had its popularity at one point, um, but you don't hear as much about it anymore. Um, but it is a really big uh, part of the body horror of the 80s, which was um, at this point becoming you know, something of like a, a cult following because you had Cronenberg doing a lot of body horror uh, pictures at this time. Um, and actually, I think in the um, American Werewolf in London essay collection that Arrow Video has in their uh, 4K, um, they mentioned the fact that um, Scanners came out in the same year as American Werewolf in London, which is you know kind of an interesting um, uh, coincidence. But it was a like the body horror element was was becoming a really big part of it. You know, Cronenberg did a lot of body horror. Um, that was pretty much his shtick. John Landis, not as much, but it did have an interest in it. And uh, at this time, American Werewolf in London and The Howling were coming out like very, very close together. And both emphasized the body horror element of being a werewolf. Because before that, we had had a lot of movies about men who turned into wolves, right? So um, The Wolfman... Um, is a, a great example of a movie that's that's really like it's what we think of as a werewolf movie right now, 
But it's really not about a what you would call a quote-unquote werewolf. It is a guy who turns into a wolf, like quite literally, a guy who, who becomes a wolf man. A werewolf is not that. In an American werewolf in London, Landis shows us the difference between those two things because um, we're not talking like a guy that just sprouts hair and howls at the moon. We're talking a full-on transformation complete with, you know, snapping bones, changing the, the actual makeup of the human composition. Um, it's not just, you know, ah, damn it, I've got to shave again tomorrow. I grew way too much hair. Uh, those testosterone shots, I've got to knock those off. You know, you hear, you hear you hear the monsters like, and here comes mm-hmm. you know little da, 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 right because because ultimately that had been really what the werewolf movie was um, up until a certain point. You know, they even even later than that too because you know a lot of the fifties and sixties has more had more of like the teen werewolf element to it. Um, later on, you know, Michael J. Fox would take that on in Teen Wolf. Well, I was going to um, say how later did, in how the did, 80s. How dare you forget the most important werewolf film of all time? Well, that was that was later that that was later in the eighties, of course. But you know, it would it would do the same idea of of taking literal Wolfman element to it. Um, but it, but American Werewolf in London and um, Joe Dante's The Howling were the two that would really you know take a look at the changes and body horror of becoming a werewolf and how instead of, you know, oh, this is a minor inconvenience, uh, you know, once a month or twice a month I uh, piss myself and run wild and, you know, tackle some geese out in the wilderness. Um, instead of that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it became more of like, oh, shit, I can't control myself. Uh, I go through the most painful experience of my entire life. Um, and you know, I, I go out and, and run wild and don't remember it the next day. And until the news reports, uh, a massacre of people. So, um, both the howling and a werewolf in, American werewolf in London were the two that really cemented that idea of the werewolf being, um, you know, not only a painful experience, a, um, you know, a, a complete transformation and also what you would con- really consider a curse, you know? In the Wolfman, he was cursed as well, but I don't know that you would say that it was as bad to the extent of like what you know David goes through in American Werewolf in London. So, so it's interesting to note those changes up uh, on, on what you know what the werewolf movie was and then what it became. You know, so let's leave it at that for right now. We'll take a break and uh, talk about what we've got on the show today for beer because we do have a new beer on here that we. Um, that we we tried to to get thematically to to match with the movie. It's called Hello, Governor. Wow, <laughs> that's all you. That's the best you could do with a movie about London. Liverpool's gonna beat Arsenal, you gobshite. <laughs> okay, that's that's a little bit better. <laughs> No, it's what listen, we... listen, listen. My offensive accents all started with my bloody Valentine. Michael is a big fan of my Canadian accent. Yeah, no one should have really uh, enabled you with those. They should have. <laughs> we should have just cut it down right then and there. And said, "There's a moose loose about the hooks." <laughs> said, "You know what, motherfucker? Stop your offensive nationality accent." I a th- th- uh, friend of mine. My- and from work, I was prepping him uh, when he was going over to London a couple weeks ago. Uh, he just got back last week. Uh, I was mm. telling him like, you gotta use some nice like English like slang, like call people gobshites and 
you know, cunt, cunt. You can bandy about cunt over there. Like that's more... that's pretty rich coming from you, the man who hasn't left New York State, giving somebody travel advice. Well, you know, I've left New York State. Um, just been too poor to go on vacation. <laughs> um, and plus, I'm a, I'm a fan of English film and cinema and such, so I know these words like gobshite and. You ever play Conker's Bad Fur Day? You can learn all the your you know your there English you, sl- yeah, slang there. right from there. There you go. That's what you really want for, in your travel advice. Like I played a video game once that was set in England. I know. Hey, 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 hey. I know. More than once. Okay? I know back, what they do. <laughs> more than once. Yeah. All right. You know, back in the uh, to the nineties and two early two thousands, Rare from England was like the top notch video game maker. So there you go. Fuck you. The other thing is, I've watched Did, cricket. No, cricket's awful. <laughs> Just play baseball or rugby. Pick one. As you take another deep fucking... A slurp. Yeah. So let's go into the beer. We listening, got... So listen, listen, Listening to your throat have to hug down a beer that violently is... I don't know why it sets. It shouldn't be that loud, to be honest with it's, you. It's like it's it must so just be that it's close to the mic because it's so loud. I'm not, I think I'm not really I think swallowing. You, I can I, I can intentionally I, swallow loud. I think I, th- I think you intentionally lean into it so like everyone knows. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> you hear it again. I don't, maybe I'm taking too big of a swig. I don't know. Ryan's, don't know. Par- Ryan's parched. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Here, I'll turn my gain down a little bit. Maybe it's just the, the element of having it too loud. Oh Jesus! Next, I'm gonna I'm gonna like take little tiny like little sips, little little bunny sips. Yeah, you need little nibs. Yeah, little, you know. All right, but anyway, we, we were so what we were doing for this episode, we wanted to tie it in with the you know the English, the setting, the uh, the pub style. Of uh, American Werewolf in London, and especially because in the, the opening of the movie takes place in a nice little pub called the Slaughtered Lamb. You get a little which, by the way, bad on America for not having bars that are named with such things. There is one actually. There's one. There's one. Um, maybe in New York City that's called the Slaughtered Lamb. Probably taken from this movie. No, um, no I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying not that specific, one specifically, but there. You, like, you want a, a, a fun name like that, like a yeah. Like or like the, uh, again to reference Conker's Bad Fur Day, the cock and plunket. Yeah. The uh well we have cock and bowl right around here, actually. That's that's different. That's not even really a pub though. That's like I, a fancy fancy I just, restaurant. I just love that name. I just love the cock. name. Somebody somebody was like, Let's name our restaurant Cock and Bowl. It's, well, it, it's fancy enough. It's You're inviting. Like Forty dollars for steaks. Come on in, bring your cock and bowl. All right, so anyway, we wanted to to mimic the English pub style. Um, we there wasn't there's not a lot of um, specific beers mentioned in this movie. If you look really quickly, you can see that Carlsbad. Why do I keep saying that Carlsbad? Carlsberg is because you're too. You got Tony Hawk pro. I, yeah, I guess so. Carlsberg is really quickly. You can see just like the name of it um, listed. Not even the full name, but just the like a half of it. Um, but they also mentioned Guinness, and we've already done Guinness before. And we were concerned that we've already done Carlsberg. I don't remember. I think we may have. 
if I am really thinking about it hard, I think we did do it at one point. So it's when we it's when we were doing that one Ingrid Bergman film. Which one was that? That's that's a joke. Oh, I got you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when we covered the soccer game. No, but I uh, <laughs> we, were, we were concerned that we had already done the Carlsberg. So we decided to go with something different that we knew we'd never had on the show. And so Martin found Boddington's Pub Ale. Oh, just, just so you know, at the Cock and Bowl in Galway, uh, a grilled Delmonico is $38. Ooh, yeah, so nice and F- fancy. Filet mignon is $44. Mmm. New go. York Strip is $34. Wow. You know prime what? rib a... with prime prime rib with beef au jus is thirty six. It's a special occasion. Just got to keep that in mind. Uh, I, they have duck there too. Ooh, pants your duck, oh. potatoes. And... <laughs> Excuse me, oh Jesus Christ! Gosh. <laughs> All right, so... it, it comes. I say it comes with potatoes and blueberry uh, guest streak. Oh. But anyway, <laughs> we got Boddingtons. Um, which is one that I was looking at, too, because I was looking online. I was like, oh, what would be a good pub ale to do for the show? And Boddington's came up, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I've had that one before. That sounds really good to do for the show. And then Martin serendipitously got it for us. Well, you know, I'm trying. Like I said, I'm tracking, I'm tracking your cookies on. Yeah, you're, you're, you're monitoring what I'm looking up online. All right, so take it away. What do you think about the Boddington's pub ale? Um, it's, now that I'm on, almost on number two, um, I've grown to like it more and more. It's supposed to be an ESB, which, um, we famously have talked about as a style that we love on this podcast that nobody fucking does, really. Um, it's, I, I like it, it's, it's definitely grown on me, um, it has a nice like banana and like nut and clove taste to it, which is kind of more of like a Belgian style. Which, if again, I love my Belgians. However, uh, I think the nitro widget is well, I guess draft, whatever the fuck they call it, draft flow, draft flow. I like to call it draught flow because I love saying draught. You know, Middle English. Uh, it's you know, so it's got that in it. So it makes it, you know, more creamier, like you're, you're getting it from, you know, the tap. Um, Hand-pulled, as they call yes. it on the on the, <laughs> the can. I would probably appreciate it more if it didn't have that, because I think the creaminess, I mean, I, I understand that's already like a low, which, again, which is weird for an ESB, because ESBs aren't generally low on EBV. They're usually around like 55 to 6%. This is 4%, like, you know, almost like just 4%. So I understand if it's that low, why? Because it's like just like, oh, so you can kind of like session it, like a session ESB. However, I, I would prefer it not to be that. I would prefer it to be more like, a, you know, just like a traditional nice ESB. I don't need to pretend that I'm getting it from a draft because um, there's not going to be a fucking tap anywhere in the continental United States that offers this. And I... Reckon there's probably very few in fucking Britain these days that have it has a tap of this shit because it's owned by Anheuser Busch InBev. 
Well, you that never, being, you never know, because like uh, World of Beer had Pilsner Urkel on there. That's different for thoughts. random reasons. They just always had a tap Pilsner Urkel. I know that's different though. It doesn't come with like a nitro widget to like, to, like try and make it creamy. That being said, I I do like it. Um, it's seven ninety nine four pack. It's not that bad. Mm. Um, and the fact that also maybe it's because I've been ESB crazy. I haven't had one fucking a coon's age because again. You can't find one anywhere. Um, I I like it. Um, I think it's you know a damn good beer. Don't expect it though to be like anything. I mean, like I said, it's nostalgia for me. It like don't expect it to be anything like like truly great because it's like like the macroisty of like English style beers. You know, we were looking to do Newcastle on here, but we found out it's the reason why we haven't seen it in three years is because they don't even sell it in the fucking states anymore. So disappointing for for those who want to find Newcastle Werewolf because you won't be finding it in the U.S. So, but yeah, so I mean, I I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, yeah, I I like the beer. I think it's pretty good. Um. I think that it is a little bit light, but at the same time, like light on flavor, I mean, at the same time, though, that's kind of like the point of this beer is it's a light beer. It's one that you can you can drink in session. You can go to the pub and grab a few. Um, And I think that that makes it a little bit more tolerable in terms of how uh, light it is, because you do get a nice flavor to it uh, on the initial tasting. And then after that, you it kind of like drops out a little bit like where it's kind of uh you know it's very creamy but the the overall flavor profile is is a lot lighter um but i think that works because after one or two once you get into it i think that the the flavor kind of comes out a little bit more as you keep drinking it um which makes it perfect for sessioning especially at the low abv that it's at um uh, like like Martin said, for the ESB style, I don't know that it truly hits that mark. I don't really find it to be an ESB in the traditional sense that I've had before. Um, but it is a nice creamy ale um, that is is it's like one of those it's one of those ales that you kind of think of when you think of English pub ale. Like this is exactly the type of style that I would be thinking of, <laughs> you know, if someone were to offer me an English pub ale. Um, this is it. And I think it does a really good job of, of managing that. And, uh, this is something that you would not always go for, but it is one of those beers that you, if you're in the mood for it, I think it would, it's a really strong, um, English ale to go for, especially at its low price too. You know, it's, it's not super expensive and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely worth getting if, if that's the style that you're in the mood for. Um, the widget, I think, it, it's trident it you know it, Guinness has that specially um, as a gimmick and I think it's trying to mimic that and you know I don't know that for cans it really is necessary to have a nitro widget like that I don't a lot of times what ends up happening is the the um, the creaminess the headiness of it kind of overwhelms the rest of the taste of the beer I think that's what ends up happening with Guinness too. That nitro widget kind of, cause if you think about it, we've, we've covered Guinness before. We've, we almost always end up saying that it's a very, very light stout that is lacking on flavor. And I almost feel like that nitro widget is there to cover up like the lack of flavor that, that, uh, is in the beer. Uh, it's like you focus on the creaminess, not the, the taste. So 
I don't think it's necessary, like you said. Um, but it does make it nice and creamy. So, if that's what you're into, nice and pillowy f- uh, feeling. All right. So it's pit- it imported from Britain. <laughs> it it uh, it it matches the theme right there. We did it. We matched our theme. All right. Uh, so that's our beer talk. Thanks for uh, listening and getting that Boddington's for us, Martin. That's that was no. very nice of you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. You're gonna owe me. Yeah. All right. So American Werewolf in London. No, that's... not no. And God, don't you forget that article. Up. You fuck up titles. I didn't. I didn't. Like it's your. Like just it's your. Was, God, just was like, abbreviating. It's such a long title. Like it's your goddamn day day job. Such a long title. Well, you know, John Landis. American. John Landis werewolf. wanted to call it an American Werewolf in London because <laughs> it's grammatically sound. That's right. Yeah, at least he didn't call it a American Werewolf in London. The movie, the monster movie. Yeah, the monster. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been great if you said a American, because that would have been perfect, right? Americans <laughs> don't know their grammar. A American werewolf in London. <laughs> Just so you can have all the British. Like, it's fucking air, you shite. <laughs> I will say, so getting into this movie right off the bat, the one thing that I noticed that I wanted to point out is that I love, love David sweater vest combo, and I need. To upgrade my wardrobe, to have a sweater vest combo like that. Well, you're not, you're not Mister Rogers. Well, here's so the can't. thing too, though. Yes, I'm not out on the moors. Okay, but what? What's that? <laughs> but I feel like I would be sweating my ass off in that combo, especially wearing that, you know, his luggage on his, you know, as a bag. How I dare would, you? I would that, be sweating my ass off. That's a Jansport. Is it a Jansport? I thought yes, it was. It, yes, it, it is. Certainly it certainly looks like one. It I, is. I, and it, you know what I like about it, too? It's like, I like that little belly uh, clip. That's nice. Takes the weight off your shoulders, not dragging on your shoulders. You got a little bit of, you know, wrap it around your belly, like sort of like a, you know, a, like, a fanny like, pack. Yeah, hike, yeah, like you're hiking. Yeah. I, nice. Well, my dumb, my dumb ass didn't realize Jansport was a thing before the 1990s because... That's how you knew if you had a little bit of money in your family. If you had a Jansport bag back in the 90s. Yeah. That was the thing to have in school. You know, the simple Jansport. I had a green one and I had a gray one. I had a red one. Red Jansport. No, but I got to say, I really like the vest-sweater combo. I think he pulls it off very well. I just feel like I would be way too sweaty to do that. Um... But I like it. And the red po- really pops in this movie, thanks to the HDR from, from Arrow Video. So, uh, you know, you get to experience it in all its glory. But uh, that opening scene is, is a really great scene. You know, as a, we, we, we kind of cue in to David and uh, his friend who are walking across the moors. They're, they're, they're basically, you know, doing a little trek from... Uh, America to the European countries and they're backpacking through Europe. Yeah. That's uh fairly I, I guess, you know, like that's pretty um pretty stereotypical now. Like right like the that's, rich guys are gonna go backpacking through Europe. That's how you know they have money. Yeah. Yeah. They're oh, back they they just dropped everything. They were like, you know what? Mom and dad are gonna pay for this. 
keep my apartment. I'm going to go through, <laughs> backpack through Europe. I think they were going to NYU, too. Yeah, they... I think so. Yeah, that, that comes up as a shirt a couple times. Uh, yeah. Alex, Nurse Alex wears that. Um, After coitus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how you know that coitus occurred, too. It, it, I mean, the, the film shows you, of course. But, but if you didn't get that scene of coitus, then you know that it happened because she's wearing his oversized shirt. The sexiest of all, you know. After sex clothing. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. am I gonna wear? Just, yeah, just, put, just wear. What am I fucking? What am I gonna shirt? wear? My Harvard sweatshirt or my NYU t-shirt? Or or you know if you're fancy, you're you know your your white button up. You, well, you... you know we have to say, Nurse Alex hasn't really done this before because she brings it up. She says, you know what? I've only had. She's very very honest. I've only had seven lovers in my life. Two were one night stands. I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's a great scene uh, of her just, you know, basically spouting off her sexuality to him, who she's no, pretty much no. just met. Just like, no, I have, I have not caught the clap. I don't normally bring home my patients. American, American. Luckily, she knows that he doesn't have any specified as yeah. I mean, luckily, she knows that he doesn't. He doesn't have any sexually transmitted diseases. She's seen his his. his junk. His medical. Well, she's seen his medical medical records. Oh, we did a urinalysis. You're good on you, herpes. Did you Did you like that? Them gawking at his dick and being like, you know, we don't get to see it, but they'd be like, oh, he must be of the Jewish tribe. Yeah, yeah. the The <laughs> Jewish thing is actually a thing that c- continues to reoccur, right? Because because we have a scene that David has uh, as he's like going through the transformation. Because obviously, like any you know change from human to monster there is that transformation element of of discovery right as you're like shit something doesn't feel right with me like and that's the same way that i feel pretty much every day that i might have some sort of cancer right like shit my ball feels a little off today shit my knuckle is swollen a little bit it's probably bone cancer and that's the same sort of thing that (laughs) that david goes through in american werewolf in london Except in, the, <laughs> except in this case, you know, they're more <laughs> they're they're more subtle, more psychological impacts. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, in, in this case, you know, he has that he has that dream sequence of the Nazi uh, monsters that are, uh, you know, coming into his house and uh, rampaging Thank- through. And so they. Thank- Thank God you're not a doctor. Well, I got a lump in my ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna die. <laughs> it's, it's probably cancer. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, that the, the Jewish element comes up um, pretty much again and again. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it is interesting that they talk about that uh, and they bring it up. And then, and then I do, I do like how the doctor uh, kind of plays it down and like makes her <laughs> like feel like dirt. He's like. Don't you have something to do around here? Not to both, not to one, to, but to both of them. Yeah. He's like, like, he's like, when she, like, cause it's not even the main nurse uh, that we uh, get, Nurse Alex, it's a different nurse. He's like, don't you have something to do? Like, nursely duties? And she's like, oh, yeah. And then the other one's standing around, and he's like, well, what about you? Don't like, you have shit to do too? Scooch. Get on out of here. Let me handle this maniac man. Stop gawking at him, you fucking whore. Do you like the doctor in this movie? Um, 
curious. He's okay? Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, I think it'd be a better film if, like, Peter Cushing was playing the Doctor. What if, um... Uh, or, what like, if Christopher Lee? Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, you want more of the traditional, like, hammer element to it, um, to combine the the ideas of, like, you know, because in Hammer 2, Hammer... Did, Hammer didn't do as many werewolf movies. They did a lot more um, vampire movies, but, you know, they did some. You want that element of the Hammer movie, the the harkening back to the original Wolfman elements. Well, I mean... Kind of brings them both together. The film definitely does have Hammer elements to it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like it's kind of, if you think about it, kind of like a, you know, 30 years past, you know, interpretation of like a hammer film you know upping the sexuality upping the gore upping you know the effects so i mean it would have been nice to like maybe somebody like you know i don't i don't think john landis was probably thinking of this when he was making the film like you know kind of equating i mean i i'm i'm assuming with like you know his like you know film buff roots that he probably have seen hammer films oh yeah you know, I, I I would think it would have been nice to see somebody from, like, Hammer. Like, you know, like a Peter... Like I said, like, Peter Cushing would have been great in that role. Not not to say that, you know, John Woodveen doesn't do a good job. He does do a good job. But you can tell his character is so, like, stereotypical, like, you know, Hammer Van Helsing that, mm-hmm. you, you know, it would have how about, been... Uh, how about Donald Pleasance? It would have been a little too over the top. You think? Yeah, I think so too. But I think it would have been an interesting. Idea. It would have been fun, yeah. but I think it would have been a little, you know, like well, you know, you know, I, we're, that's not saying that you know, American Werewolf in London is not always super serious. It is uh, so, somewhat labeled a comedy as well, and I think that comes out like the one time that I thought was really funny was when uh, the guy comes in after David has just woken up from his coma for three weeks, found out, hey, I'm in, I'm in the hospital in London. Uh, your friend's dead, and uh, you know you, you've been gravely injured in a coma for three weeks. And the guy that's with him is like, "Um, I need you to calm down right now, David. You need to calm um, down." Oh, the ambassador. Yeah, the ambassador. Like... You need to calm down, David. I'm trying to tell you something here, David. Calm down. That's You're being hysterical. <laughs> great moments. One one thing that we love that that's like one of our like n- n- the number three meme of this podcast is hysterical women. Yeah, and just needing men t- to talk down to them to stop being hysterical. Well, David took on that role of being hysterical. I love. I we love know your part. friend just died, but will you stop being hysterical? Yeah. Can, you, can you just settle down for a second here? I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that part a lot. Like, so I, I, I mean, in American Werewolf in London is not always serious, so I could see the over-the-top elements. Um, the working. humor, I would say, the humor in this film—it's good, but it's it's very wry. Mm-hmm. It's very wry and it's very dry. Like there are, a, I mean, there are a couple of moments that are like you know, like oh, you know, like you're supposed to laugh at this, but for the most part, it it is a very dry and wry comedy right because i mean it, for the most part it does take its its plot fairly seriously and i i kind of am curious how audiences um reacted to an american werewolf in london because again it, it is billed as somewhat of a horror comedy and that's not really the case it's that that you know if we're going to call this a comedy that's really a stretch because 
sure it has you know a few comedic moments or a few you know acts of levity but it's really not a comedic movie it's not um it it doesn't have you know the the raunchy elements of animal house or you know the 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 comedy that the blues brothers has and those are the movies that you know obviously people know John Landis from people are going to go see American Werewolf in London on the the name John Landis because they're like, wow, he just directed animal house. He just directed the blues brothers. Let's go see what his new movies up to. And it's a serious departure from those two movies that they would know him very well from. Um, and then coming back to back like that, I just wonder, you know, what kind of reaction did audiences have, you know, coming into this? Because like you said, it's very wry humor, uh, it's here and there, and especially like the, I guess the ones the the places that you would see the most humor is when David's friend comes back from the dead, and he's kind of you know he's like you know the Walking this, Dead, basically just saying situ- like you need to kill yourself. I, I don't say, know what to tell you. I think I think the situationalness of like some of the things that David like the moments he gets himself into. I I think. Like if we were, we were, I think if say we were to review this film like ten years ago, we would definitely say like it's like oh it's a horror comedy. I think now again, I think now that we're again forty plus years out from this film, context of you know humor constantly always change is always changing like what we find to be funny in society, and I think. I think, I don't know, maybe it's me being an old man. I think the dr- dryness in comedy is kind of, it's it's passe at this point. Like, like when you, like, watch, like, a comedy or, like, a comedian these days, like, having, like, a dry and wry sense of humor, it's kind of, it, you don't really see that anymore unless it's, like, somebody who's been doing it for years. So I think, like, if you were to watch this now... With, like, fresh eyes, you know, you're young and you haven't really, like, you know, experienced such things. You'd probably be like, eh, you know, it's a, it's an okay kind of horror film. Like, it's got, like, you know, some grotesque and body horror elements. But, you know, it's, a, you know, a couple of laughs, but I wouldn't call it a horror comedy. Because when you think, like, horror comedy, you think, of like, especially, like, coming, like, if you fresh-eyed you're like oh Shaw of the dead hilarious and then mm. it's got a couple of like really serious moments at the end you know yeah he- yeah I, here I, it's it's very much it's this film's you know very grounded oh yeah i think i think this film's really grounded and if you i would say that if you it didn't really you know know that it had been classified as such you probably wouldn't see it as comedy um it's it's actually very serious and um, in its approach, it, it takes the, the werewolf idea of, you know, finding out your cursed and then figuring out what to do with that. Um, and it goes through the motions of that, which is pretty common for most, uh, werewolf movies, horror movies. Uh, you know, the wolf man at its core is a guy finding out that he's cursed and then, uh, figuring out what to do about him being cursed about, you know, becoming a wolf. Um, this is, that's pretty much the, the same exact idea of an American werewolf in London, except now. We have David, who's a transplant. He's not originally from London, so he's trying to find his bearing in London. He, um, you know, is obviously not really sure what to think about his visions of dead people coming back to him. Uh, are they like psychotic breaks because he had this, you know, this accident? Uh, he's been in a coma for three weeks. Um, you know, a lot of that element, um, you know, kind of is supposed to be seen as comedy, but it's really not, you know, it's, it's, it's not that funny. Uh, it's more 
in in how it's displayed too. It's very serious, and uh, I think that's an interesting um, element from John Landis that I that sets it apart from some of his other movies that he did uh, prior to this one. Um, and the other thing that it does really well too is is uh, the romance because I do think that um, David Naughton and um, uh, Julie um, shoot, Jenny. Ju- uh, Je- sorry Jenny Agutter. I think they do have a nice chemistry here. Uh, Jenny Agutter in particular uh, does a very good job of um, selling this like feeling of being, you know, sort of off kilter, not really understanding the attraction, but also going with it in sort of like a serendipitous way. Um, She even even says, you know, it's nice to hear her say like, I don't know if I should, if I'm attracted to you or if I should feel sorry for you. Yeah. And do you think that that is part of the plot too, of being like the animalistic nature of David's character and that, you know, at a certain point, there is that sort of like pheromone element, you know, raw attraction of the animal side of someone. You think that's yeah, what, no, what they're getting at with that romance? Yeah, no, I think I think it's definitely both. You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, because even like I think, I, think, I, 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 I think one fault of the film is like it takes place over like probably like two months. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it? Well, it's like a like because, like a, a little over a month, right? Because we're we're talking about a full moon, and the full moon was like three weeks prior when we for, when David wakes up. So it's about a, I think like a month or so of of time that has passed since the last attack on the moon. So I'm I'm willing to buy like the whirlwind romance, mm-hmm. and I'm will, like because again I think. Because the way she like phrased it, like it's like I don't, I feel attracted to you, but I feel very sad for you at the same time. Like you know, that adds like a hook to it that mm-hmm. like a lot of films wouldn't. I think again, I think part of the problem with with the romance is like again like the pacing of the time frame, because if you're not paying attention for a split second, the time frame you wouldn't understand. Because it's me- mentioned very flippantly, like like, oh, he's been in a coma for three weeks, and if mm-hmm. you're not listening to that one line, you know, poof, gone. Mm-hmm. But I do think it works really well because again, like they, you know, after they meet and she's he's out of the hospital, they have you know they have sex, and so it's to play up that you know, it's not you know it's carnal. In the you know the relationship, I mean they have a connection, but it, like they do have a carnal aspect to it, you know, which plays to the werewolf, you know, the lycanthrope idea. I think I you know I think that works well. I think it's you know, and then the fact that like, and as you mentioned, when she's like kind of rambling on about her like, past lovers and stuff, I think that's kind of like a nice little like take, like like you know that she's kind of in you know entranced, even though she really doesn't have a reason to be. She's entranced because like you know. It's that werewolf magnetism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's think, that's what I, I kind of got idea. from it. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that it's, you know, it's almost like the animalistic nature. And there's that one scene uh, early on in the, the movie where David's in the hospital. He, he basically says, no, I don't I don't want to eat. Um, I'm not going to, you know, eat anything that you give me. And <laughs> she basically force feeds him. Well, not force feeds him, I guess you wouldn't say. But, but basically feeds him um, the meat. And there's like that that almost like that animalistic carnal nature to that scene that I think cements the rom- relationship and the romance 
um, that I think is a really good idea that 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 comes into play. And it's something that we also see uh, correspondingly in The Howling, which is, uh, you know, right around the same time, uh, released the same time as An American Werewolf in London, released in the same year, uh, where there's actually a werewolf sex scene in The Howling. Um, so, there, you know, the, the, that, that sense of um, sexuality, raw animal nature is apparent in both. I think it does, you know, in, in American Werewolf in London, it's a little bit more tender than in The Howling. <laughs> uh, but but I think they do, like, both Jenny Agutter and David Naughton do a really good job. And, and in general, I think David Naughton does a great job, as David in this movie, of doing both the over-the-top shtick and also the more serious nature of David um, that, that, that comes out. I, I think he does a really good job of that. Um, especially like towards the, you know, around the beginning when he's really starting to find out like things are changing with him and he's starting to see his friend, um, as the, you know, as a dead person, he does a really good job of selling that. Like I'm crazy. I'm going crazy. Um, he does a great job of that. Uh, I really wanted to commend David Naughton on that one. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the, the werewolf transformations because in 1981, American Werewolf in London's uh, transformation scenes uh, with Rick Baker's uh, visual effects uh, were very, very uh, big at the time. Uh, very um, stand like a standard of the the time uh, for werewolf movies uh, becoming like the the epitome of of how to do them. Especially you know, and and also in comparison to the Howling, both at the same time coming out very, very strong visual effects. So what did you think about the transformation scenes in this movie? They're really good. They hold, even 40 years later, it holds up incredibly well. Um, and it's... I I would put it up there with, like, the thing and, like, how, like, the show, like, this is why practical effects are great. Mm-hmm. You know, um, probably the thing in Day of the Dead. In how effective they are in making like again like they're like there's kind of like a corniness to like how like overstretch some of the things kind of like you know when like you see at first like when this like hand is turning into a paw like how like outstretched it gets it is like now kind of like when you watch it a little ridiculous but overall the transformations are really well done really gruesome you know, with the bone crunching and curdling, you know, noises and growls that we hear as he's transformed. Which, if you think about it, is like, you know, something that you wouldn't think about when you, like, think about, oh, this guy transformed into something different. Like, it's like, oh, no, he's going from a person to a fucking werewolf. And you get to hear, like, you know, his body crunch and grind and turn into this, you know, monster. It's hideous. But well, incredibly well executed, and I think it's worth you know. Even if this film was a piece of shit, I'd say it's worth watching just for some of the special effects in the film, because mm-hmm. it's such a testament to what the human mind can achieve in you know making an effect to make you believe something's happening with practical effects. Yeah, I mean, I think it, they did a really good job, especially with the first transformation sequence. Because if you think about it, 
Uh, American you, wait, Mer- you wait an hour and a half, like an hour and ten minutes to it, get there. Exactly. American Werewolf in London actually is a fairly slow burn film. It does not have a lot going on in terms of the actual werewolf um, elements. You know, they're pretty few and far between. Um, most of that is done through character um, elements and, and um, a few dream sequences and things like that to, to bring the, the film forward and, and kind of cement David's change. But once you get to that point, the transformation is really great, and the film expertly cuts from specific transformation scenes to be able to sell the realism of it. Um, the editing is really where this lies. Especially, I mean, obviously they did a great job of the special effects, but the editing is where it really um, falls heavily to get this right so that things seem realistic in real time. Because you could easily just show, you know, in what a lot of times happened in, in films from the forties and hammer movies is they would show like a shadow of the person changing or they would do a time-lapse photography of it, which never really looked that, um, you know, realistic, you know, it was, it was, you know, the time lapses, you, you, you don't really get the sense of like an actual change to the person in this movie. There is no time-lapse. This is all in real time. You are seeing the physical, very, um, agonizing change from human to beast because it really literally causes changes to the body it's not just you grow hair like i said in earlier in the show you you change your bone structure and that is sold in this movie as being extremely excruciating um you know it's not something that's like oh you know it's an annoyance that i have to you know change every full moon but I guess that's just my curse now. Um, it, this, it's like more so I cannot, I literally cannot live with this because the pain of changing into this monster is so destructive to my body um, that I cannot handle it. One element of werewolf movies that I think I would like to see explored because werewolf movies are traditionally very difficult to do new things in um, is the impact of those changes on the human body over time. So, like, an older werewolf who is now seeing, like, structural body changes um, to the human form because of all of, like, the morphing. I think that would be a really interesting approach to show, like, the the aged werewolf, um, you know, that, that has survived, you know, because they were able to live with the moral implications of being a werewolf. But the physical implications of doing that over and over again every single month with the full moon are causing deterioration of the human body. I think that would be really interesting. Um, but in this film, you know, obviously David doesn't even last that long to get to the point where the physical transformations are too much for him because he only does it twice. Um, but, but I think like the idea of the physical form being so deformed by the, the werewolf element and the, um, complete destruction and transformation of the human body, I think is a really interesting idea it, that an American werewolf in London does really well. Um, and it, it, David Naughton really sells the agony of becoming a werewolf. I think that's, you know, that's, that's an understatement because it does seem like a very unpleasant experience to have. There's also that um, early scene that we see David Naughton in the hospital bed and he, you know, he's having that dream sequence where his face has become like yellow eyed and, you know, with with almost like vampire-like teeth, which is a great 
transformation of him in makeup as well that I think uh, is not as well noted as the werewolf sequences in this movie Um, because the film has good makeup and other effects too, um, not just the werewolf elements. Um, Like the Nazi uh, zombies that are in the film or um, later on the decaying of uh, David's friend as he like continues to be, you know, walk the earth as a revenant, but continues to decay at the same time. You know, he's that's, he, he even says, you know, how unpleasant of an experience that is too, to, consistently be decaying because your friend is a werewolf and the only way to be at rest is for him to kill himself. Yeah, Sounds like great. an awful, uh, awful existence. Yeah. yeah but, it, it, but it is, it is great though. Watching like, you know, him, like you first time you see him, you get to see the great effect of like, you know, his throat ripped open and the, you know, half his face kind of clawed in. <laughs> and then you see him like, you know, decaying over time. That's really great, and I love that. You know, it's a great little uh, bit, and something that I wish the film kind of did a little bit more is maybe see you know his friend that died, because it's something that we you know, it's something that we you know remember greatly when you see the film. Like, oh yeah, you know the interactions he has with his dead friend, but they're really there's three times that we see him, and that's it, and they're very quick and you know brief and. That's it. Yeah. There's, I I think again too, like this film does inspire because later, a little bit later in the eighties, we get house, the film house. And it takes a lot of inspiration from the, you, you know, tell the, me a guy, a, cra- a cranky guy's walking around being like, you got gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it takes a lot of inspiration from American Werewolf in London. Um, so it, it definitely, you know, the idea of the revenant is is a really interesting part of this movie that that David sees this guy who's and and later on other people that he's murdered who are fairly unhappy with him <laughs> and basically saying you know what you need to kill yourself because we can't rest until you do uh, which which again cements the curse even better than something like from the Wolfman which is you know uh, like I said in terms of the forties movies. That curse seems just rather annoying to have, right? It's like having, um, you know, eczema. It's like, fuck, this is annoying every month, but I'll deal with it. That's not the same as an American werewolf in London. Um, what else did you want to talk about? Do you have anything on your list? We talked about the effects. Mm-hmm. Yep. We talked about the plot. How about the uh, the bobbies in uh, in London? Did you like what, that? Is, isn't that the best part of the film? Gets to make a uprising and going on and like Piccadilly Circus and be like, like you're a cunt and you're all cunts and cunts 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 asshole and be like, oi, stop it! The, yeah, the police officer's yeah. like, you you better knock it off. You're not gonna arrest me, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could be that's, a prank that's the thing like in in this movie you know obviously psychologically deranged people are treated with a fair amount of respect anyway like i'm sorry for your condition um i understand though and i'm going to let you go on a warning uh, in america it's like the guy's retarded well fuck that guy i don't care you know shoot him shoot him anyway yeah we would have shot dead and i before i apologize he... for using the r word but that was in in a bit 
I did not mean it in disrespect. But uh, say before even you know mentioning, you know that he needs help, and that they're kind of useless. He would have been shot dead. Like oh, right. you, you, and like oh, he's forward, shoot him, you know. And, right. Yeah. The idea of like of mental help is is pretty much non-existent at this point. You know, you don't you don't want to really want to call the police on people who who legitimately need mental help. Um, in this movie. Yeah, they they pretty much ignore him entirely, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm sorry you're going through this, sir, but uh, we're we're gonna have you move on now." Um, so we have a we have a Chelsea versus Liverpool game to put on. Uh, please get out of the way. So. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Um, Another abandoned hospital. Yeah, when pretty. He's uh, ro- roaming around at night, you got the. Yep. Do you think? Oh, here's something. Do you think when you got to see like the inner uh, werewolf uh, desires when he's running through the field and you get that first person view, Sam Raimi steal that? Uh, yeah. Or right. did or or did John Landis steal that from Sam Raimi? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we generally tend to think of Sam Raimi as the the innovator of that. Uh, you know, sh- zoom shot, right? Of the zooming through forests and because they came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Because that's all I could think of when I was like seeing that part where, like, you know, it's like the first the POV shot running through the forest is like oh, it's like Evil Dead. Yeah, it is. Oh. Um, what do you what do you think about the uh, the whole sequence where? You know the the revenants come back to David in the porn, uh, you know the porn theater, uh, hilarious. Which is, which is very um, you know like New York City at the time, but uh, yeah, apparently Piccadilly Circus is just like being you know a taxi driver, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, Robert De Niro is going to take Jodie Foster on a date to a fucking porn theater. No, I like that. That's really funny too, because by that point you get to see you know his friend who's decrepit at that point. And then see, you know, all his the people that he killed the night before and how they're faring. And when they're, you know, sitting there saying, like, hey, the only way to get rid of it is, like, to cut the werewolf off. So you got to kill yourself. Well, how am I going to do that? Hang yourself! No, no, you might choke and not like that. Get a gun! And they're like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, how about a knife? <laughs> you know? Yeah, they just go, it, go through yeah. the list of gruesome deaths that he could do. And they, then they, like, pretty much center on all the worst ones that could possibly happen like you know like giving sleeping pills no it's not yeah. sure enough you know <laughs> uh how about you jump in front of the train drop in front of the tube you know it's it, it is good and it's funny um I, I i you know again like that's you know part of like the great dry humor in this film mm-hmm. and it works really well. And like, again, because by that point, it's the last encounter that we had with his friend. And so he's gone from, you know, being, you know, fresh meat to like now he's almost skeleton. Yeah. Face it's, dripping it's off. Great. Yeah, it's great. All right. So what do, what do you, we got to talk about the ending. What do, you, what do you think about the ending? The, uh, you know, the, the climactic ending in Piccadilly Circus as he's cornered. It's, it's gruesome as shit. It's like, you know, it's something that you wouldn't expect from the film with like the overall. I mean, again, it's like that nice mix of like, you know, dry British humor and uh, 
horror. But by the time you get to the end and you get him running around as a werewolf for the second time, they go full-blown, like, you know, pretty gruesome with, like, how, like, the innocent people are getting fucking killed throughout. Like, the people he kills in the porn theater, and then the people who get launched out of buses during the car accidents, and, like, the people who get run over from those car accidents. It's, you know, like, a nice, well-done, like, gruesome fate, but also... Funny at the same time, because, like, with the one cop, one cop is standing there going, like, ah, and he gets pinned between the two cars. I was dying laughing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. pretty funny. Um, but I, I, I do think it's effective. Um, and then having, like, the cops come, you know, the rifled cops come in to take out uh, David at the end, as you have Alex sitting there, you know, professing her love to him. And at, you have a moment where David thinks about it and is about to attack and gets shot. I'm fine with it, but it's again, it's the most old school, old school ending that you can kind of think of. Because it's just like you got this moment of action in the film sense. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, you know, a nice downer ending. It's a... It's one that is also inevitable, right? And and one that, um, for the most part, ha- the the fate that's David's been leading to throughout. Um, you get that nice scene um, right before the conclusion where David makes a call to his his parents, gets his sister, and basically tells him he loves him because he knows, like, in some way, I need to end this. Like, either it's going to be you know death by firing squad, like he gets at the end, uh, or you know I'm going to kill myself. Uh, but whatever the case, it's got to end. I can't just continue to be this beast. And so um, I do think we get an interesting ending. It's not one of suicide. You know, he doesn't just take himself out. Um, and actually, we don't know if he's really ready for it or not because at the time he's turned into a werewolf. So it's not really relevant whether he knows what he's doing or not. He, he probably doesn't. So I think the idea of him, you know, turning into a werewolf, being cornered, and then getting, you know, um, Alex there as well, who has quickly become a love interest for him, who he expresses his love to, I think is a, you know, is really a downer ending to to have that all go down and have Alex present and see it. Um, you know, it's pretty rough, but uh, you know, it ends on a it ends on that note, like a very abrupt. Um, this happened. The threat is down. Um, but I think the idea of that, too, is the fact that, like, this stuff happens because um, there's an idea of fate involved in this, too, that there, like, you know, this curse happened to David and there's really literally nothing that he can do about it. Like, he got attacked by a werewolf, you know. He, th- what are you going to do? You know, it's just something that happened to you. That sucks. It's not fair. And... It does mimic, you know, normal human disease of sometimes you get stuck with the, the bad, you know, end of the stick and that's it. It's, it's unfair. It sucks, but that's your fate. And that's kind of like what American Werewolf in London does is shows like there's really nothing to be done about this. You know, there's no miracle cure. Um, there's nothing that David can do besides subject himself to his fate. And in this case you know, go out. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of an, an interesting element to it. And it has some beauty to it too, right? Cause he, like he finds ultimately his, 
his, you know, his, his romance, it's sort of like inevitable. Like this is fate. He, you know, because there's such an uh, early attraction, the animalistic attraction, there's fate involved and in that he finds like a romance. He quickly falls in love. Boom, boom, has a great time in London. And that's it. Um, so it's an interesting idea of the fate of a character and the inevitability of death. Um, I think it works really well in, in the movie. Uh, and I like the abruptness of the ending. Um, just to like, boom, that happened. It's over. All right. So I guess we, we got to give uh, American Werewolf in London a rating. So on a scale of um, zero to 10 Bim Bams uh, from see you next Wednesday. What would you give an American Werewolf in London? I'm giving the eight on 10. It's a very good film. Uh, a very funny film. If you like dry humor. Uh, the effects in this film are great. They still, 40 years later, hold up. Um, a great, well-realized concept. Something that I think that needs to kind of be like revisited more is, you know, we talk about not just horror comedies, but horror films in general, because I think it does so much right. You know, it has the effects that make you, you know, feel repugnant and interested. It's got the hum like a dry humor that keeps things grounded. The story overall is pretty simple, basic, but yet relatable. The performances throughout are great. John Landis does a great job directing this film and writing the film. It's a cultural testament. It's one of his better films. It's not the Blues Brothers. It's not coming to America. But it's, again... Those are just straight-up comedies, as great as they are. This is a terrific blend of horror comedy. It's pretty rare to find. And it's wryness and, and it's deliberateness uh, to the genre. So, probably an eight, eight and a half maybe, you know. And it's not snotty boring watch it's only like a 93 minute film it's a very easy breezy film to get through yeah i agree i would i would give it an uh probably an eight out of ten as well um i think it's a really great werewolf movie um it's right in line with the werewolf movies of the time the howling is another great werewolf movie they released it the same same year um they do a, many of the same things um for the werewolf genre at the time and I think that an American Werewolf in London really brings some ideas uh, to the modern werewolf movie that we have now. Um, you know, a lot of what we cult classics that we love uh, that happened after an American Werewolf in London use this as a source, um, and you know, for good reason. It's it's a solid movie. It has some humor to it, although you know, not, obviously not as much as some of the raunchy comedies, teen comedies uh, that John Lannis had done before, like like. Uh, I mean, Animal House and Schlock, um, but it, it, it certainly has some humor to it, and it pairs that with a good sense of horror and a sort of like world-weary approach that includes um, body horror um, and transformation sequences and the inevitability of death, the um, 
you know, the, the futility of, of, uh, attempting to, um, you know, avoid the inevitable. And I think that it works really well. Uh, has a great plot to it. That's is fairly slow burning. Um, but the slow burn is tempered by a number of dreams, dream sequences with great, uh, special effects by Rick Baker. And you really can't pass up the special effects, uh, for the transformation sequences because they are the, uh, the, the pivotal point of this movie. The, the thing that it does absolutely fantastic. Um, and it does for the werewolf movie, uh, what the thing did for, you know, other body horror elements, uh, for, for, for special effects and practical effects. I think it, it, you know, it's a really strong, uh, showing overall. Um, so ultimately I think an American werewolf in London is a really great movie, um, needs to come back a little bit more and, uh, have people, more people see it. And I think Arrow videos, 4k will, will do a good job of going that route. Uh, they also released it on Blu-ray and, uh, you know, so if you can't take advantage of the 4k, you can at least see it on Blu-ray and, uh, and check out, you know, how it looks and, uh, and all it's, is all it's glory. Um, really great movie. You should, should definitely see it at least once for the, you know, the werewolf elements and, and for any werewolf fans, um, this is definitely, you know, the epitome of the modern day werewolf movie. All right, so that does it for our American Werewolf in London uh, coverage. Next week, we're going to be back for our Easter episode, which we never really do an Easter episode. I'm not a huge Easter fan. I don't uh, really partake in the religious aspects of it. Um, How dare Well, you know, when you believe in a fairy tale like Jesus rising from the grave, (laughs) um, you know, I, I, I... I can see it from you know the the horror sense and and a and a good short story. From a realistic sense, I don't really believe in that sort of thing, but um, I do enjoy the, the you know the the other elements of Easter, like having a nice Easter dinner and uh, having Milky Way caramel eggs, Jello Jiggler eggs too. Those are fun. <laughs> But we are going to do an Easter movie this time. There's not a lot of Easter movies, but one that I do know of that I think will be fun to do is Critters 2. Have you seen Critters? No. Good. You don't need to. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will get the gist of it from Critters 2. No need to worry. Um, but yeah, um, I think this will be a fun one. It's a Mick Garris movie. Um, I don't know if that rings a bell for you, but he does, uh, you know, he, he has a podcast right now. He really dives into horror. He's a very, very, very knowledgeable on horror. Um, and he did direct a few movies. Um, he was part of masters of horror. Uh, he, he's done critters too. And, um, a few others and some shorts and, uh, should be a fun, fun movie to do. And it has huge bazongas in it. So you'll like that too. Ooh, bazongas. Yeah. You'll like that. Kasongas, Google, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> Google so, clusters. <laughs> that'll, be, uh, that'll be a fun one to do. I, and I do have it on Blu-ray as well as part of the Critters Collection from Scream Factory. So, you know, I've got all four of the movies in case you want to well, watch them all. Four of them? Yeah, there's four. Well, there's actually five. Um, oh, just geez. not part. There's a fifth one that just released uh, relatively recently, so. But, uh, yeah, should be fun to do. So we've got an Easter episode for y'all. Hopefully you uh, tune in for that. 
We appreciate you listening to us ramble on and on about movies in general. And if you want to hear us do more of that, we're on pretty much every podcasting app that you can think of. Uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, our home base at anchor.fm. Uh, you can subscribe to us on any of those. Leave us a nice review. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We do occasionally do some tweets and stuff like that. So, and mostly me, not Martin. Uh, Martin doesn't partake in the Twitter. Uh, we, we also have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like. We'll take that into consideration. And also, you can donate to us on Patreon. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. You can also donate to us on a couple other avenues, uh, anchor.fm. We do have a subscriber area. Uh, so whatever you can donate is perfectly uh, fine with us. We appreciate it, and we'll put it towards our beer. So thanks a lot in advance. Uh, we hope you tune in next time for our Critters 2 episode for for our special Easter edition of Blood and Black Rum podcast. And until then, take care. <laughs>